Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Kevin Byrne and I'm delighted to be joined today by a man whose, bo- whose boxing journey started almost by accident in the USA. He's one of the few Irish boxers to have fought in what I'm going to christen the Holy Trinity, the MGM Grand, Madison Square Garden and the Point Depot. Described by heavyweight legend George Foreman as one tough cookie, he ultimately bowed out of the sport in 2014 with a record of 27 wins and 10 losses, collecting Oklahoma State and Irish titles along the way as well as being involved in several thrillers. He is, of course, Ushin, Gale Force Fagan. Ushin, welcome to the show. Hello there. Hello, hello, hello. Great to be here. Thanks. How are you keeping? I'm doing all right, yeah. Yeah, we're still... I'm actually... We're, we're, I'm, we're good because we're, we're still walking away, you know. We're going to schools. Obviously, this is our uh, this is the midterm break in schools, but we've got, uh, I've got to do out loads of... Uh, um, certificates for the kids and stuff like that, but we we're good to go um, into the schools and uh, I think the the teachers really really enjoy us coming into the schools because we're giving them a bit of a break, you know. So yeah. we, we look we look after kids. We we tr- we give them uh, give them boxing to focus on rather than uh, rather than sticking their heads in the books all the time, you know. Obviously, education's most important, but you need your need a little break as well, and it's good for the good for the boxing. Um, uh, that we uh, we've got uh, we've got four other guys on, on my team: uh, Ed Griffin and Michael Carruth and Paul Quinn and now now Burke. <coughs> uh, and he, uh, we all go to we all have different parts of of Dublin where we where we go to schools and we basically like like the football the football and the rugby and all have the have development officers. So we be boxing development officers, and okay. uh, we we've. Basically, over, over the past, we're, we've been in the job about ten years now, and we've worked with tens of thousands of kids. And uh, some some of the kids have have ended up being champions, like from the from the early days when we we uh, we got uh, we got these jobs. Uh, we kind of what what we try to do is 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 uh, push them into into clubs, try to get them to get them into into clubs that are close close to their close to where they live, you know, and uh, and then we. They, they, the clubs then picked them up from there, and and but yeah, some some of them who started off with us had had, had gone through gone through junior level uh, boxing, and some of them are were, were were champions, you know. So it's a it's a great program, great program for boxing and for community. It's really a community based uh, yeah. uh, program, you know. 
there's a there's a couple of you guys, some some great coaches, former champions, obviously an Olympic champion there, like Michael Garut as well. And you know, you've been to the very top of the professional game. And effectively you go around to different schools in Dublin and is it transition your students or younger and give them a taste of boxing, effectively? Yeah, it's just to give them a give them a taste of boxing. Whereas normally they'd be going and they uh, obviously they have their football, their their guard, their hurling. That's always been included in the schools, but not until we got to the schools was boxing uh, one of the staples. And now it is, and like that's that's one of the the main uh, main sports that they ask for now in in the schools is we're we're never we're never idle. We always have uh, places to go, you know. Yeah, like later on in the show, we're going to talk about your fight with um, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., a kid who grew up with a, you might say, the, the silver spoon in his mouth. But boxing has always had an ability to touch those kids who are left behind in deprived areas, or kids who, you know, mightn't have been given a second glance, or you know, might have been forgotten, fallen through the cracks. Have you found Have you found that the sport has the ability to still do that? Uh, that's that's the main thing about boxing, really. It's uh, it do. It has a special place in its heart for 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 kids not only who are deprived but uh, but uh, kids who are just want a little bit something. I always say to the kids actually when uh, when we're starting off, I always always tell them that boxing is not for everybody. But uh, what what I do find is that it's the kid usually the kids who are great at football and great at a team based sports. Uh, it, it, that it doesn't normally suit those guys because it's more of an insular thing. It, uh you have to you have to dig deep for for what boxing's all about, you know. And I think uh, and that appeals to a lot of a lot of kids who who may not be super super popular or uh, or the the loud mouth in the gang kind of thing. And uh, it, it, you 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 you, uh, you see some of the kids uh, really taken to it after a few sessions and and really wanting to make it make it their thing, you know. And uh, they, they seem to be the ones who who get the get the most out of it are the ones with what, problems what, you know yeah um, what would your theory be on kids uh, when do you need to start boxing to become one of those people who's got the you got the discernible the really noticeable skills in a boxing ring like you can see a, a lifer almost you you weren't a lifer yourself you started really late didn't you <laughs> no yeah I was very late I was, I was about 30 when I started uh, which is a, a mad story in itself but uh I find that if you if you get the kids at 10, 11, 12, that's probably the most perfect age. Now it's really it's hard to keep them in in the gym then all the way through. Which are obviously when they're going through their, their teenage years and uh, when they're meeting meeting up with, with, with girls and boys uh, of the same age and stuff like that, start and starting to go on little adventures with drink and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's really hard to keep them in involved. But you, you you'll find that if what what's for you won't pass your boy, you know, if if you're good enough and you're dedicated enough you'll you'll stick with it, you know. Yeah. And Oshin, you were telling me before that when you first went down to the boxing club it was later in life, you'd played football, you'd gone to the USA, but you'd been living in the back of the car after leaving college and barely had a pot to piss in, I suppose, and that's that's what attracted you to boxing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, basically well when when I um I when I went to the States I Obviously, it was just purely, purely football for me. Um, and then when I, uh, when I got, when I got out of uh, college, I fell on some hard times. And uh, my mum and dad hate me talking about this because if I had got 
got in touch with my, my parents when, when I was going through the hard times. They would have done dropped every, absolutely everything to, to come and help me out, you know. But it was just like I, mean, I was 30 years old at the time, and I just caught, thought that it's uh, a bit too bit too late like to be relying on mommy and daddy you know but having said that they, they would have like they would have dropped everything to, to sort me out anyway like um end up uh, staying in the back of a car for a little while and i was still in touch with some of my old college football friends and stuff like that and uh jamaican pal of mine i've seen you know he um he was uh i was talking to him one night and i was in i was in the car trees in the back of the car it's going oh, i don't know how i'm gonna, how I'm gonna get out of this this is uh I'm in trouble here, Al, you know, and he said, well, why don't you go down to a boxing club? Because me and Al used to just do a little bit of sparring for extra training in football, you know. He says, I says, you think? He says, you know, one of my, one of my friends is a professional boxer, and I, I always thought that you were even better than him. So, and I just took, I just took, um, took that as a good thing. I said, yeah, maybe I will. I, said, I asked him, did he have his number? He didn't. He said, now we, we, uh, we fell apart kind of thing. We, we, I don't really know him that well anywhere, anymore. I said, we'll just go down to a boxing club and see what they say. So I said, okay. And, and you know, it was coming to the stage where I was just I was just trying to latch on to anything at the time. And I went down to a boxing club. It was run by Buck Smith, who, um, who was a competent boxer in, in his time. He, he'd won, I think he's the most winning fighter uh, in the Guinness Book of Records. He had something like 100 and... 70 wins in a row as a professional and I think he's uh, I think he ended up with 188 wins and 16 losses or uh, something like that something crazy like that 20, 20 losses I think and, and 120 like knockouts outrageous yeah <laughs> outstanding yeah. now, now Facebook Buck's a good guy you know uh, Facebook he, he fought some of the best like he fought Chavez Senior he fought Antonio Margarita he, but he fought some absolute bums as well like road sweepers you know as well so uh, but at the same time, he met, it meant that he had to keep keep being fit. And he, like sometimes he used fights as as fitness a, a fitness thing, you know. He just used to get in, uh, go into fights. And I think he, I remember him telling me that he actually went across the. He was the four, only fighter to have to fought in two different states in the one night. <laughs> so he went from somebody say Oklahoma, and then he went over the border into Kansas, and then he fought there as well later on. So uh, yeah, he's, he's, he has a has a few records that way, but uh, he was a good guy, and uh, he he set me on my way. He says, "You want to fight pro?" I says, "Yeah, well, I need money. Uh, I want to get out of the hard situation I'm in at the moment." So it just so happens that we're we're putting on a on a show here uh, next. Uh, it was about two. Or I was only only working out for about uh, I suppose it'd be about a month and a half or something like that. And I said, "Well, I get money for it." And he says, "Oh yeah, you you get some money, all right." But he didn't, he didn't tell me tell me how much I was gonna get. So I ended up getting about two hundred dollars after after training for six weeks. But that that was that was the way it went, you know. Uh, it was better than nothing, you know. And yes, and I kept it going. And and the first night that I fought them, a lot of uh, a lot of my uh, um, guys from my alma mater from from college came and watched me fought to watch me fight. And I won. I knocked a guy out in the fourth round, and he was beating me up. And it just he just couldn't understand why this mad Irish man kept on coming for him. And I hit him with an overhand right. I saw his leg buckle, and I just uh, went in for the kill. Just started throwing mad shots, and the referee came in and stopped the stopped the fight. And then 
as I got out of the ring, then uh, the principal of the school, uh, Phil Cunningham, came up to me and says, I believe you're a qualified school teacher. I said, yeah, but nobody's messing with my green card. And he says, just so happened that my PE teacher left in a notice last week to come in for an interview. And I was so in the space of like, in the space of 20 minutes, like I was a, I was a teacher by day and a fighter by night, you know, and uh, I, I ended, up, ended up fighting all over the world and after that, just crazy, you know. How did the two professions work alongside each other? I'm sure it's a, you hadn't taught, I suppose, in Ireland at that station. You didn't have an Irish kind of education system to, to compare it to as a mm. teacher. But what was yeah. it like uh, teaching the young American kids? And I know there was a lot of African-American, Latino kids yeah. in your class. They, they probably loved the yeah. fact that they're... Well, in, well, in, my, in my school, we, we were... Uh, it was called an enterprise school, which was uh, like uh, from, uh, from poor in, inner cities, you know? And most of my kids, actually, ninety-six percent of my kids were uh, Latino kids, mostly mostly Mexican kids who came over the border and settled there, either legally or illegally. But that never that never dawned on any of the teachers. Everybody had their, their hearts in the right place, you know. Certainly wouldn't have been wouldn't have been wouldn't have been Trump land in that school, but that's for, that's for sure. So um, our uh, our teachers were great, you know, and uh, there was two percent black kids and two percent white kids and so that was that was the makeup that was a com- that's how it was compromised in my school so all, all the kids loved me because I was mainly catholic uh so well, I was predominantly catholic i loved to fight and i loved to love to play football and that was that was the three things that they that they that they loved too you know so it was uh, it worked out great and some of my kids are now professional boxers too and uh in fact um alex Osado who lost there the other night, he's, he used to come and watch me fight. He wasn't in my school, but he hangs around with some of the lads who are in my school, and they used to come and watch me fight at the time, you know? That's about yeah. 10 years ago, or 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, I watched him on the Lomachenko against Lopez card, all right, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, a, yeah. He did well. We're teaching predominantly uh, Latino kids, and it's it's less, it's it's just one year into your professional career, and um, I think... According to Boxrec, you're five, you're five and one with four KOs. Mm. But according to the uh, promotional material around the fight, they have you as four and one. I'm not really sure how, but you get matched against uh, a Mexican legend son, the son of a, the son mm. of the legend, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, senior yeah. still active, but fight on until the following year. And okay. Junior is 18 years old, four and zero. Oh. And uh, a lightweight, although he later, you know, perform at middleweight. Super- <laughs> he probably was you know. huge after that. Yeah, true. Yeah. I think, well, what happened was is that so I I'd, I was won a few and lost a few of this at the fledging uh, stage of my career. Um, I think I was three and zero, and then I had my first loss against a guy called Mendoza in in Tulsa. And then I won my next two next two fights and handy handy enough. And then uh, I just said to book because the money still wasn't good. I was still getting two hundred dollars for a fight, like you know. And I wouldn't mind, but this day, you know, I was taking all the all the people who used to work with me or who used to go to college with me. So I was a, the most uh, supportive person there. And so any place that had us had us um, at their venue, they'd always make a few quid on drinking or whatever, you know. Yeah. I- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sorry to interrupt you, but you did have, I think, four prior to Chavez Jr. at the farmer's market in Oklahoma City. Uh, somewhere where Hank Williams performed previously, many years, many before. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that actually. No, but yeah, but yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was a staple at the farmers market. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah so they used to lo- love watching me come because there'd be another two busloads of college students coming uh, straight yeah. after me, you know. So that's that's uh, that's how how I started my career, and then. And uh, so I had a few really good, I had some nice wins at the start of my career there. And then I just said to book because I was still struggling with money and I had a lot of money to pay back because I was only starting my, starting my, uh, my, my, my job as a teacher too, you know? Uh, and I says, can you get me some, get me some proper money for, for a fight? I said, I'll fight anybody, you know, I'll fight anybody. He said, "Ah, oh, yeah, just uh, let me work." And I, I thought nothing, nothing more of it, you know? And that was the, that was the end of, of it, I thought, you know? And about a week later, he says, how about fighting Julio <laughs> Cesar Chavez at the MGM Grand in three weeks' time? And I just thought he was taking the piss. I was going, yeah, tell us another one. Like, he said, no, I'm serious. I was going, what? I was going, yeah, sign me up. That's deadly, man. So I was delighted with that, you know. So uh, that's that's how it came about. I, I told him that I wanted a big fight. And uh, he came back with the biggest fight he could have, you know. That was it. Yeah. Uh, as I said to you, Book had fought his dad, um, so I, I think they had a little bit of a rapport there. So, I but at the same time, I don't think his dad had any uh, had any um, inkling in, in, in his son's business at the time. But I'm sure those kind of things get get muddled up anyway, you know. Uh, so and look, uh, so uh, it was it was early in my career, uh, and I uh, headed to. Um, I was on the on the plane going over to to uh, Vegas, and from the from the plane, I'd be looking out. I was looking out the window, and you could see the actual MGM Grand as we're coming in into Vegas Airport. You know, mm-hmm. I was going, "Oh man, I'm going to be fighting there in a couple of, in a couple of days." You know, so that that's when it kind of just hit me. It's going, shit, this is this is sort of sort of big time now at this stage, isn't it? And uh, so then I was brought up to. Um, uh, the uh, 18th floors where our, where our uh, room was and a huge room and uh, and then um, I got a I got a call because I, I told some of the lads from Dublin that I was, I was uh, fighting you know and the lads were saying oh we're gonna get over we're gonna get. I never thought in love and my phone rang 
and uh, it was the lads on the phone we're down on the lobby you're coming down what's going on so I started running down and then uh, and the first thing I had to do was, was stop give up one of my friends from getting thrown out of the MGM Grand because he was trying to tip over that that, uh, that coin thing you know when you're dropping the coin in and then you're trying to see if the coins come out the other side in numerous numbers so uh, yeah so the <laughs> Huh? What are they called? Tipping point, like the game show on TV, is it? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's what it is. Yeah, you, you, you just put it down. It goes through a little maze, and it goes down, and it and it pushes the coins out into the into a bigger, bigger tray, and then if it comes down and into the into the main tray, that it's all yours, you know. You want to bone up on your daytime TV watching? It's it's on every day. Tipping point. It's like, being at, it's like being at the amusement every day. I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I'm busy working. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, they, uh, so that's a, that was my first job was to stop the security guard throwing out my whole quota of eight people uh, from the MGM Grand. So then when they saw who who it was, they ran over and they did a big pile on in the middle of the floor, and uh, and then one of the lads uh, decided that. Oh, we better let nobody's fighting in a couple of hours. <laughs> I'm at the back, the bottom of a of a <laughs> of a pile on, and I'm trying to trying to get up real gingerly to see if I if I'd heard anything because it's at the bottom of a pile on, and uh, end up being okay. They said, "All right, all right, we just wanted to see you. Uh, we won't we won't bother you anymore, and we'll we'll see you after the fight." <laughs> and that was kind of the way it was, you know. It was great all the time, it's just just to see them. My mum and dad came over too. It was brilliant. Um, then. Uh, I had my way in then, uh, and the way in was supposed to be for we neither of us were supposed to make a hundred or any more than one hundred thirty six pounds, just slightly over lightweight. And I came in, or sorry, one hundred and thirty eight pounds, uh, and I came in one hundred thirty six, and uh, and he he was bang on the money as well. Uh, so everything was ready ready to go, and then I turned me back, uh, turned around. And who was standing beside me only uh, Wayne McCullough. That was the first time I ever met Wayne, you know. And even though I wasn't a boxer, everybody knew Wayne. Everybody knew Michael Carruth and Wayne from what they did in the in the Olympics, you know. And so, was, so and Wayne had actually stayed around after the way in to, to meet me. And I just thought that was a, a lovely gesture, you know. So it was uh, really nice of him to do so. So uh, we, we've uh, we've been friends now ever since, you know. Um, yeah, and course, it must have been a fairly it must have been a fairly star-studded fight week because top of the bill you've got Eric Morales against uh, Jesus Chavez, you've Miguel Cotto yeah. on the bill. Uh, I know yeah, you yeah. Emmanuel Augustus was there as well, but um, obviously Wayne can stand there among the best of them, and uh, you know yeah. you'll have people coming yeah. over to him and well known. So he 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 showed up uh, he showed up just to show support for a fellow Irish boxer. That seems to be the kind of guy Wayne is, all right. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be, uh, and I wouldn't mind, but I was I'm going through a hard time. Then uh, maybe after I had a loss, then uh, maybe five fights after that, I was thinking of giving up. And uh, uh, Wayne asked me down to his place to come and train with him, and I was there and I was sparring with with Wayne and with Kevin Kelly in uh, in Wayne's uh, personal gym, and it was just uh, exactly what I needed to keep going, you know, and kind of gave me the the the. Uh, and it gave me the impetus to, to keep on going, you know. So it was a really nice, really nice gesture. And of course, his, his wife Cheryl and uh, and Noni, who's his uh, his daughter, they were just really good people, you know. Although Noni was only a, a baba at the time, and now she's doing her own thing, uh, 
she's she's a star herself at the, uh, right now, you know. Yeah. What was that? It was a great, great that, old time. Was that low point of your career that you mentioned? Uh, was it prior to your title wins, like Oklahoma State Irish title, or was it when the when did that occur? Do you know? Do you remember? Yeah. I, 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 um. Yeah. After uh, I won my my state title, um, things were uh, I I was I was going in against whoever, you know. I like my. Yeah. My, my uh, so I was winning half and losing. I was winning more than half, probably slightly more than half, and losing some. And then I remember, uh, this quite quite a slow matchmaker, uh, kind of befriended me. Said he put me in against somebody who I shouldn't have a problem with. And I remember having loads of trouble with him, and uh, I just said, ah, this is a dirty old game, you know. And so, end up deciding to. to Almost decided to give up, give up, give up then. And uh, but then Wayne came in and he said, "Ah, oh, come on up. Uh, we do a bit of sparring, we do a bit of training." And he was just really, really nice, you know. So that's kind of kind of way it worked there, you know. And uh, so, but uh, when it came to the to the fight with with Chavez itself, um, right? He look, was, I'll like, set he was, the scene. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah. It's- it's it, it's February the 28th, 2004, MGM Grand Las Vegas. Movies released that year, uh, February 2004. You have 51st dates against the ropes, the Jackie Callan story. You ever see that one? Uh, Euro trip and the passion of the Christ. Um, at, at the top of the charts in Ireland, it's pretty much like a full span for each month. So in January, it's um, Leave Right Now by Will Young. February milkshake, Kelly's, and then toxic by Britney Spears for a month. So that's, <laughs> right, uh, okay. You remember the music yeah. at the time, man. Um, yeah. In world news, the, the Iraqi war is just everywhere. It's all about it. And yeah. you're at the bottom of a pylon in the MGM Grand in in uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> he looked yeah. look, look a lot bigger than you in the ring. You could see the size uh, difference. I think he was eight centimeters taller than you. Not insurmountable. Yeah, he was so so much taller. And I was wider than him, okay, but he was he was so much taller than me. Uh, and obviously, that's what makes the difference in when you're when you're a, a good boxer, or even not even you know you don't have to be a good boxer, but just keep somebody at the end of that jab, and then you're you're usually okay for the night. But um, just have to have to give a shout out to the lads who came over that night. So it was Gibbo, Funty, Finno, Guinea, Dunyan, Pog. And then Denise and Helen came over as well with the with the lads. But they, they were they were brilliant. Um, they were they were great track, and uh, it was great to have them over there. And of course, yeah. uh, Tomas Rowan was over there as well for IrishBoxing.com too. So uh, it was good to see him as well. Uh, yeah, so we 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 uh, we kind of face off in the in the middle of the ring and. Uh, but, the, but even before that, I I was looking looking out. You could there was these, we were surrounded by drapes in, in the in the uh, dressing rooms. There was big huge drapes, and every time that somebody would come in or out, you could you could see the the crowds kind of building up because they all wanted to get a, their first first look at the young Chavez, you know. And uh, as I I was walking into the ring, I saw. Uh, uh, George Foreman and uh, I said, "Oh, there's George. How are you, George?" <laughs> you know, I said, "Hey, son, good luck like this." You know, and he, I would he wouldn't have known me, but uh, everybody knew George. You know, so uh, then myself and Chavez and kind of face off in the middle of the ring. Tony Tony Weeks was the the referee, um, the referee. Yeah. yeah, and 
and yeah, I could see that he was so much taller than me, but uh, I was, he was so long that I said, I'm just going to whack his body over, you know, that was, that was my, my game plan. And it, it worked. Listen, I, I was much more aggressive than him. Um, in fact, I think after the, after the fight, some reporter said that I was more like uh, the real Chavez, <laughs> like his dad, rather than, uh, than himself, you know. So I, 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 I rushed him. Uh, I had him in trouble in spots. I felt like I was. I won the first two rounds handy, and I think it was the third round I threw a silly uppercut from from outside range, and he tied me with a, a right hand. And sure, I was up before the direct even called one. I, I my hand did touch the ground, so it was a legitimate knockdown. But uh, I wasn't hurt at all, and I came gunning for him again. But I, I remember thinking to myself, ah, that's me. I've lost that fight now because. Because of the, the the knockdown, you know, it went from a ten nine round to me to a ten eight to him, and that's just the way it was, you know. So, um, you seem to have a knack for fighting in these kind of concentrated bursts. That in the one minute between rounds, the TV guys, the highlights they're showing, or they're picking out the ten or twenty seconds that he was sharp and that he was focused during the yes. round, and yeah. they had a way, they had a way of making and making the yeah. replays look like, oh, Chavez is dominant, but for the course of the three I, minutes. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. wasn't doing quite enough really um, did you feel yeah I, I felt I felt like I was out working this is that, that I, I, I felt I beat him three out of the four rounds for sure you know mm. and uh, and then after the fight I kind of I just knew that my hand was, wasn't going to be raised because there, there's his dad in the corner although I, I did I, I, I put it up on Facebook every now and again like you see a picture of his dad somebody asked him how he thinks it goes and, he's, and he kind of shrugs his shoulders so that, that to me was kind of like a win to me you know uh, that, that was a, a nice little, a nice little uh, uh, caveat there you know so I uh, but they called out him as the winner and I'm sure then it was party time then, you know. So, uh, I I was I was upset that I didn't get the result, but I knew unless I had the knock to know, I wasn't getting that result, you know. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. The, the, ca- the, cam- the cameras kept panning to senior, all right, and he looks quite yeah. mean, you know, because I was shy, had to double check, like, is he still active at the time? And I could see he was. He'd fought. He was only fighting once a year at that stage, but he was. He was still active. He looked in decent, r- relatively decent shape, and he just—he looked angry. He just looked annoyed during the fight. Uh, maybe that his son wasn't yeah. doing quite enough, but he—he he had his hand raised. Did yeah. you get to? Did you join your uh, traveling posse to watch the rest of the card? Uh, Cotto, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 What happened was we we uh, so I got out of the out of the shower and I went to look for my man. I went to saw my man that up there uh, up in the and they were they were up quite high. They didn't give us any magic tickets or anything for for uh, for the, even for the folks like. And so uh, uh, went down then the closer to the ring where I heard the lads have blagged their way down, you know. And I was walking by. Uh, I was walking by um, uh, the the lower part. It was quite close to the ring actually. And I I saw George Foreman. George Foreman looked over and he says. Uh, Hey, that's that Irish kid. He said, Irish kid, you're one tough cookie. I go, what? That's class. I imagine being called that by one of the toughest of them all, you know. I go, oh, thanks very much, George. We had a bit of a chat. And then the lads who had blagged their way down were on the, on the side of the, were, were just behind the barriers. I was going, lads, you hear what George said? Hey, this Irish guy is one tough cookie, he says, right? 
and all the lads did a big, a big pile on again. So they were trying to get up, up and up and over the barriers, and they tried to jump on me. But but uh, then uh, so George uh, uh, was having a bit of a laugh, having a laugh with the lads, and then Gibbo said something about uh, George, and he was real real serious, and everybody kind of listened up to what Gibbo was saying. He says George, have you ever heard of the Ocean Fagan Deluxe Kettle? <laughs> I was going, I was going to shut up, and uh, George is looking around like this. Doesn't doesn't know what to be what to be thinking, and uh, I don't mind when George is mad, you know. And so as George was 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 walking walking by uh, a few others on the way out, crazy Irish. He said, he said we heard him saying crazy Irish, so we were having a great old laughing. But uh, yeah, then I then I joined the rest of the lads down for the rest of the for the rest of the night, but um. Uh, it was it was really really good times, you know, really good times. I think of uh, Chavez now and what he went on to achieve. I kind of see him as a bit of an Irish boxing boogeyman. And uh, I was thinking of a few others today that would fit the bill, like Hanley Mungia, who's beaten Dennis Hogan in a robbery, I thought, and Spike O'Sullivan. Yeah. You have Mike Mike McCallum has world title wins over Sean Mannion and Steve Collins. Yeah. Uh, amateur Mira Pocken and put Katie Taylor out of the last Olympics, and she has a couple of wins over Kelly Harrington as well. Morales, the build Morales, the build topper yeah. of your fight in Vegas. Wayne McCullough yeah. and John Lowy on his list of victims. Uh, Tevin, true, Farmer, yeah. Tevin Farmer has John O'Carroll and James Tennyson, both in significant fights, yeah. world title fights, both of them. And then there's a Romanian guy, I think, a new fella, Ianet Baluta, who's beaten successively T.J. Donny and David Oliver Joyce. And after your oh, fight, yeah. after your yeah. fight, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. filled out, became a middleweight, and and bigger, and defeated then after you, John Duddy, and uh, your good friend Andy Lee as well, in Lee's first world title yeah. fight. Were you surprised? Yeah, yeah, true. It was eight years on, eight and a half years on from your fight with Chavez Jr. that he fought Andy Lee in El Paso. Mm. Were you kind of, was, yeah. was it surreal for you watching fights like that, having fought him at lightweight so long so long before? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Now, obviously, he had a lot of filling out to do, you know, um, but, um, yeah, the, the the thing that I always felt is I never had that signature win, you know. Like, I, I've I've got a split decision with with Spadafore and a split decision with Kimbro, and they were like top 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 boys. And then, and then the Chavez fight, I got really close as well. But I never actually had that signature win that people could say, just like you were saying there that you were the bogey man for this guy because I always just miss out by split decisions you know so that, that was that was that's always uh, in the back of my mind that I never really got those those decisions but hey that's just the way it works um but um the, as far as the uh his fight with Andy um I, I thought like Andy's a much better boxer I, I always felt that Andy was a better boxer than uh than Chavez and I didn't know I didn't know what it was but uh when I was watching that fight, it just seemed like Andy just kind of, uh, maybe it was a fitness thing. I don't know how, how, how long Andy got before that fight, uh, how much notice, but he seemed like he was, he was gassing. Now that, now and it could have been, uh, Chavez's weight kind of just piling down on him. Uh, that could have, could have been a, a decision maker as well, you know, but, uh, um, yeah, uh, I thought that, that Andy would have had the, the, the beatings of him, you know, but, you know, the stars make fights, as we always say, and that's, yeah. that's how that, that happens, you know. And now you were an all-action fighter. Who, who are your favourite guys to watch these days? Yeah. Well, uh, I'd say uh, 
on on that car, on that card on the Chavez card, my favourite fighter and still my favourite fighter is Emmanuel Augustus. Do you remember him? The drunken master. The drunken master. Yeah, oh, he's he was class. Like just that. He didn't care if he was getting smashed around the place, but he'd start doing that clowning stuff. And even though I wouldn't be somebody for clowning, I don't like I don't like people doing the boastful stuff or or throwing one, one arm out and hit you with the other. I hate all that crap, really. But he did it so well that uh, he be, he became after after that after I'd watched him that night, uh, I, I started watching him an awful lot now obviously nothing ever passed down onto me I'm not that kind of fighter at all um, but he was just a, a special special kind of fighter but uh, yeah he got shot then uh, I don't know where he was it could have been I think he was doing his, his stuff in Texas at the time and uh, I think it was just a random shooting and he got he got shot and I heard he's uh, he's now a vegetable in, in a wheelchair and, and uh, he's not doing very well you know what a, what an incredible career he's had, you know. He was he was he had was that, more times than I was. <laughs> he had that amazing fight with um, Mickey Ward as well, and Paul Spadafora had an incredibly uh, crazy life. All sorts of madness happened to him. Did you follow his Did you follow his life outside of the ring or before? I, or after I didn't. Him? I didn't know. I didn't know about him before I before I fought him, uh, and then obviously when you when you find out a name, then you start looking people up, and I heard you know, he was a world champion, and he still he was still unbeaten uh, in forty fights when I fought him, and uh, and he shot his girlfriend uh, from uh, I think they had a row over a row over something maybe stupid like, and and it ended up. Uh, him shooting his girlfriend, uh, I think it was in the chest, so it, it didn't. It, she was pregnant she, too. She, she didn't. Yeah, she she didn't die, but it was yeah, it was something crazy, all right. And then um, so then I I think he was in jail for a while. He came out of jail, and then I think it was the first guy that he fought when when uh, when he got out of jail, and uh, and that fight I felt like I beat him as well. Again, it was another split decision, uh, and. When I look back at, at the fight, uh, he, he didn't even get he didn't win a round for the first four rounds, I don't think. And then and he had the points deducted then in the seven or eight as well for low blows. So I definitely took another couple of rounds between the rounds four and 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 ten uh, for me to get a, a comprehensive win. But they they cheat me on that one as well, you know. So that was a split decision for him. But uh. Most people, uh, and most people thought I won that that fight handy enough. I thought I thought I did. I thought I won. I won that uh, handy enough. You know. I gotta I gotta ask you, what do you think beating uh, having your hand raised against Chavez would have done for your career? And also, are you surprised that it didn't even do more as it was? Because quite often, a big a major promoter gets a guy like you in. They want they want you to lose to Chavez Junior, but they want you to test them to make them look really good. And uh, you did test him to the limit, and he had to show everything that he would later display in, in the following years to to eke out to eke out a win. And were you surprised that your performance that night didn't kind of earn you a few invitations back to other other big nights? Because you know it is the classic definition of you you enhance your reputation, I'd say, with that performance. Yeah, I I guess. Um... Well, I guess I, I I got some big fights after that, but yeah, I probably should have got. 
in in more in quicker succession, uh, a few of the bigger fights come, come up uh, after the Chavez fight because it was on people's lips and because a lot of people had had seen the fight and said that I should have beaten them and I, you would have thought. But see, I ch- I changed promoters then, um, uh, a couple of fights after or a few fights after that, and I went on a, a nice a nice winning streak. Um, I went about twelve or thirteen fights unbeaten then. Uh, and I was happy with my load, so I presume the promoter that I was when I was, when I was with Book, uh, and then I went with Stacey Goodson in Arkansas, and uh, Stacey got me some good wins. So I presume Book and Stacey wouldn't have been on the, the, the best of terms, so I, I'd say if Book had still been uh, promoting me, he could have got me uh, some big fights after the Chavez fight, but I, I suppose at that stage, things were straining in our relationship, and uh, uh, I was looking to go elsewhere to get like to. And the good thing about Stacy was that he was he was happy to to do things uh, in the Midwest circuit where uh, he had no money, he had no money to to, to get promote uh, good promotions in. And I was kind of the, the the lead man that he had at the time, and so uh, ended up. Uh, uh, filling out a few, a few halls but they were only like school halls you know that's, that's all it was but it was okay for where we were living you know so it was, we were alright with that um, and then then in the end then uh, Stacey got me the chat or the Spadafora fight and then the Kimbo fight and after that so they were they were two big fights you know yeah big time man you got to be the home fighter for to build a winning run and get your confidence up and improve your skills I suppose without having had a massive amateur base as well um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that was a huge thing. Like, I had no amateur, so I never had that kind of uh, <laughs> that base at all. So uh, when I was with uh, uh, Book or with uh, Stacey, I did, I did go uh, and get and get those wins. You know. Yeah. So, Oshin, you've put you've put a lot of your thoughts together in a new book that you're hoping to get published in the next year or so. Uh, what was your motivation for putting it down? I suppose it's just been a great story from start to finish, and you wrote it yourself. Yeah, the story's good. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I've, I've written, I've written the book. Like I've written it over. So I, I, I guess I'm a bit of a nerd this way. Funny enough, I, I wasn't a nerd in school, but uh, when I was a, when I was a kid, but I, uh, I always wrote a diary, and I had uh, forty years of, of a diary, and I just start, I just start. Watching it or having a look at the diaries every every little while, writing little bits bits and pieces down for a book. I just and this was even before I started boxing. This is as I was on the scholarship. I was gonna just say, oh, this is a good way to get on the scholarship, and it was gonna kind of be a, a self help book to get on on a football scholarship. So I was writing my book like for, for the past twenty years. I've been writing books, so I feel that if I if I do get a publisher, and like my my my. My my college uh, qualifications was in PE uh, as a as a PE teacher, but uh, I also got concentrations in politics and uh, journalism. So <clears throat> I'm able to write, and it, I may not it may, may not be everybody's cup of tea, but if I'm going to a publisher, I want I want uh, I wanted uh, like kind of uh, off off my own off my own back, you know. And I'm I'm finding that that's quite uh, hard to deal with publishers because they've got their they're advertisers, they've got their publishers, they've got their, ed- their editors, they've got their writers. And so I'm taking a, a big part of that away, for, away from their hands. And so that's 
I, I feel that that's probably the biggest stumbling block because they want to write my story for me, but I've written my story. I don't want to be given given up that, you know? Yeah, so that's what, but I am looking for a publisher. If there's anybody out there, it's a very good story. And, uh, I, but, and I've no problem uh, taking criticism about my, my writing and we can we can talk about ways to change change things up if they don't like the way that they're uh, that it's, it's written in the book, you know? Yeah. Well, look, if we ever decide to have a charity kind of fight, fight writers uh, boxing match, you're not invited to take part. You're going to have to referee it. I'm sorry. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. <laughs> I gotcha. You can, you can, you can train, you can train the, the fat slobs around the place to get in shape for the, for the, for the event, if it ever happens. Well, Oshin, look, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rocky Road Rewind. It's been great crack. Great. Yeah, nice and okay. Thanks, lads. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.